Hey there and welcome to the 17X podcast series where we chat with amazing people from all over the world on how they are using their business to create outcomes aligned with the sustainable development goals. We hear from entrepreneurs, social innovators and change makers and everyday business owners using their business and brands as a source for good. So sit back, get inspired with me as we hear from these amazing people telling their story of purpose and impact. Thanks for listening. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. My name is Mick and today's conversation is with Tom Dawkins, the co-founder and CEO of startsomegood.com, a global crowdfunding platform and innovation agency for social good. Tom is a career expert in social enterprise and social innovation, having spent time in Silicon Valley, Washington DC, and here in Australia, he's one of our best exports when it comes to thought leadership and practical application around social innovation and purpose-driven brands. He supported hundreds and hundreds of businesses through his platform to create social impact with their business model. And I'm excited to say that he's one of our speakers for our 17X Brisbane event coming up on the 26th of September. So if you're in Brizzy, be sure to come along and see Tom in action. But right now, grab a pen and paper because Tom shares some great wisdom around using your business as a force for good as we explore how we can use our business models as major impacts for the global goals in the 2030 agenda. Thanks for listening. Okay, Tom, welcome to the 17X podcast, mate. Super excited to hear your story. Great to have you here. Great to be here. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, awesome. So before we um, get into hearing more about yourself and your story, I always like to just kind of uh, warm us up with a bit of an icebreaker. Can you tell us uh, 2019, what's been the highlight for you, for you so far? Gosh, 2019, what's been the highlight? Um, I think probably the highlight of my year, uh, there's two highlights if I could be so bold. They both involve travel, which often seems to kind of pop out in the year. One was going with the whole family to an event in Tasmania in February called the New Kind Festival, which was a really amazing experience. It's kind of like a conference, but in the form factor of a multi-day festival with everyone camping and then all eating meals together and then lots of workshops and speakers. And it was cool to be there with the whole family, with my kids. Uh, and then it was kind of cool to jaunt off without, <laughs> without the whole family. I had to do a quick work trip to, to Baltimore um, in the States. And that was, that was super cool because I used to live in Washington. Which is only 45 minutes away. So it gave me an opportunity to see you know, a lot of beautiful people who I haven't seen in a long time. So those two things stick in my mind. Yeah, very cool. Um, can you just uh, tell us a bit more about the, this event in Tassie? That sounds really cool. It is very cool. It's uh, called the New Kind Festival, and they call it a, a summer camp for social change. It's on the site of the which one is it? False Festival, I want to say. Yeah. It's on the site of a, a major festival. And that's, that's pretty great because it's in a way it's a form of recycling to use the site, which is purpose-built and set up. And then within that is this incredible uh, five-day or so kind of conference in a way, like lots of speakers, panels, workshops, all on different forms of, of creating social change. That's and so really cool. wonderful amalgam, like, you know, meeting point of different people you know, me and others from the kind of social entrepreneurship, social enterprise part of that world and others from the more activist part of the world, and others from the 
I guess, more kind of mainstream corporate or investing and, and trying to figure out how to contribute. And mm. Yeah, just really fascinating. But all of us prepared to hang out in the field in Tasmania. That sounds so cool. <laughs> yeah, I recommend, I recommend it. Yeah, I, that's going on the list. That sounds awesome, man. How old are your kids? Uh, they are now seven and four. And how did they respond to it all? Is it probably just a big adventure for them at that age group, I guess? Yeah. Yeah, I think that was a little bit boring at times, to be honest. But it's not as easy to do with kids as a music festival. Music festivals are super easy with kids because they yeah, like music. You like music. You yeah. go and jump around for the same stuff. Yeah. Obviously, someone giving kind of a talk about the spiritual dimensions of activism or something <laughs> is not going to hold their attention for long. It's based in small families. You know, we took turns. My wife came in shooting off to see things we really wanted to see and we yeah. walked to the beach every day with them and had oh. swims in the chilly southern ocean. It was cool. Oh, that sounds like a major highlight. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing. Um, I'm definitely putting that on the list. Um, yeah. So before we get into Start Some Good and, and what you guys are doing there, can you tell us a bit about your origin story? You know, where have you been and what brought you through to where you are now? Yeah, for sure. Um, so look, like so many people, I guess most of us didn't, didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up, um, really right the way through, through high school. But I, but I did have this sense and, and I'm very fortunate to be gifted this by my parents. My, my mum worked in public broadcasting and my dad was a town planner, so they're both public servants, but they were like very purposeful about their work. You know, it was really meaningful to them as a way in which they contributed to make, towards making a positive impact in the world. So I grew up with a really specific of work as a place within which you make a difference, uh, through, sorry, I guess a, uh, a way in which you make a difference and a place through which you live your values, not just as a place in which you make a living, I suppose. So I was, I was never, you know, I was always kind of maybe slightly on the lookout for a, a cause or a, I don't know, a, a thing to get excited about, um, I suppose. And I was very fortunate to find one in my, in my late teenage years where I was the you know, the privileged beneficiary of a, a lot of pretty amazing youth leadership experiences, both within Australia and overseas. But what I quickly came to realise is that the people who mostly took advantage of those sorts of experiences looked an awful lot like me, one way or another. They had kind of well, uh, well, mostly well-educated parents who were highly supportive of their kind of desire to, to contribute, to, to play a leadership role. And I began to think a lot about what it could look like to have that opportunity to make a difference, be more universal, and to have, let everyone have a similar sorts of experiences to the kind of experiences that I found deeply empowering. And I think at the heart of all those experiences, and at the heart of all true empowerment, is this idea that your voice matters. You know, it's to feel like you have something to say and someone to say it to, and that your voice and that your contribution can play a, a role, can make a difference you know, in affecting things and changing the future. And I became really fixated in particular on how, the, how do you give all young people that opportunity in Australia, in a country like Australia, and how do we build essentially a more democratic democracy by building a more participatory democracy, where more people feel like they have access to those platforms, those opportunities, the personal skill sets and confidence to share their story and be part of the conversation about the future that we need to create together. And that's basically what I've been working on ever since. It's taken a lot of different forms. By the time I'd finished university, I'd found a train up profits. These days, I run a social enterprise, start some good that is obviously focused around the funding piece, but also increasingly around the design and kind of capacity building piece. 
But other things I've done in the years in between is open the first co-working space in Australia, send youth journalists out on the campaign trail during the federal election, travelling with the Prime Minister and the opposition leader, uh, did some really kind of interesting early experiments in online events and what might now be called virtual summits, and these days start some good runs, the world's biggest virtual summit for emerging social entrepreneurs. But, you know, I kind of played around with the first version of that in 2001. Um, yeah, lots of interesting things uh, through the year, but always I think where I find myself and where I'm really passionate about is putting in place the infrastructure and providing the support and the opportunity for other people to make a difference. Um, I'm pretty acutely aware that, that, that I've been very fortunate in my life um, to grow up in a very prosperous country with very supportive parents. Um, you know, I'm a cisgendered male. Like, to be honest, I don't have a lot, a lot of lived experience of some of the most pressing issues of our time. Um, and so I'm very passionate about playing, I, I guess, a role as an ally to people who do have those lived experiences. And that's, that's where I think most of the most important innovation that we need comes from. And so I've tried to play, I guess, that, that ally role, that, that supporter role, focusing on infrastructure, whether that's, you know, co-working spaces before they were cool or, you know, opportunities to share stories and ideas online or now opportunities to, to I guess, create, help design new projects and to raise the funds that people need to launch them. Yeah, sure. It's a, it's a really interesting story because a lot of the people that I've talked to on this podcast that, that are now living a life of, you know, trying to find purpose and impact and that, that cohesion bet between running a business and providing impact and have come from either a really difficult upbringing or they've had a particular aha moment that really that shifted their perspective, whether it was a life-threatening experience or they were exposed to a third-world country that opened their eyes to the reality of, you know, bigger things that are happening around the world. But it sounds like um, you your upbringing was very much you know, didn't, didn't really tick either of those two boxes and it, and it really does come from your parents for you. I mean, I did have, no, I mean, I did have a very particular experience, I can trace it to, where I, I went away for a year on exchange when I was 16. I, had, I mean, I did have a really hard time in high school, to be honest. I'm not, you know, certainly doesn't compare to people who struggle against endemic, yeah. you know, systemic disadvantage or, or racism, but I was pretty badly bullied uh, right through right through high school and had a really hard time and discovered this opportunity to get the hell out, you know, this really crucial moment in year, I guess I discovered midway through year 10 and got to go away for a year, halfway through year 11. And it gave me this short-term focus I really needed as well. I was, you know, I came 179 out of 180 kids at maths, I remember in like year eight or year nine, but I had to pull, I had to pull myself up a bit better than that or I wasn't going to be able to, just, you know, to go away on this program. Yeah. It was such a fluke that I even found out about I went to a selective school which was not at all into sharing those sorts of opportunities. It was basically sport or academics. Yeah. Anything else was a distraction, God forbid, you know, actually contributing to the community around you or <laughs> anything like that. Yeah. Um, so kind of getting your head beaten in playing rugby was a totally, you know, totally justifiable distraction from academics. <laughs> it was almost the only thing. Um, and I got kicked out of English class, which, you know, wasn't such a, I guess, not such a fluky occasion because that happened not infrequently, um, and I just happened to find a brochure that someone had dropped in the corridor. And that was the only reason I, I discovered this thing called exchange, student exchanges, and I went home and convinced my parents that that was just what I needed. And I spent a year in the US, and while in the US, I had this incredibly fluky other opportunity to attend this event in San Francisco called the State of the World Forum. 
And it was this incredible kind of post-Cold War powwow of, you know, like Ronald Reagan, uh, Margaret Thatcher, Mikhail Gorbachev were all there. Herbert <laughs> and Becky, then Vice President, later President of South Africa, you know, seven Nobel Peace Prize winners. Like just this amazing coming together of global leaders to kind of map a new course for the country. It's actually interestingly, just because this summer has been linked to what we're going to talk about, this was the very early stage of the efforts that resulted in the Millennial Development Goals that became the Sustainable Development Goals. Mm. Because post-Cold War, no one had an articulation of what we were all working towards. Like, what actually is the point of the global community? What is the point of, like, all coming together and talking about the future? Can we agree on anything about that future? Because for the previous 50 years, the Cold War had been the key defining point of agreement or disagreement in terms of people's vision for the future. And once that was over, there wasn't in fact, a replacement vision at first. So that led to a whole bunch of different efforts that ultimately, you know, emerged into these, into the Millennium Development Goals, which are now the Sustainable Development Goals. Yeah, sure. um, but this was, this was before that language emerged. This is 1995. Um, and so I attended this insane event in San Francisco. Oh, what I was going to say, though, was they didn't have, like, the time, the inclination, the budget to do this global search for, you know, worthy young leaders, young people who are actually making a difference in their community. Um, if they had done that global search, I, A, never would have heard about it. How did anyone hear about anything in 1995? Yeah. My school definitely wouldn't have told us about it. Um, if I had heard about it, I wouldn't have applied. Because while I was raised by parents who encouraged us to like speak our mind and you know, keep, you know, keep up with politics, I, I wasn't doing anything at that time. I was just trapped in my own misery in terms of high school and not knowing what I wanted to do with my life. Um, I, wasn't, I wasn't involved in any volunteer stuff. I wasn't doing anything. So I clearly didn't fit the brakes, really. Um, and so, obviously, if I had applied, I wouldn't have been selected. But they didn't do that. They did what you do when you don't have the time or the money or the information. And that's partner, which is smart. And they partnered with the world's biggest exchange organization to choose from young people who are already in America. And so I was one of 61 Australians on the year program with this particular organization, AFS. I was one of five of us invited to write an essay on why I would like to attend the State of the World Forum. I don't even know why I was one of the five invited to write that essay, and then I was the one selected. It's wow. such a series of fluky events. I think people get passionate about why we need to build more systemic, universal ways, because that is just like an absurd sequence of events. Yeah. You know, and then you get kicked out of class that day, someone needed to drop that brochure, having parents who could afford and were supportive of me going on that experience, being with that particular exchange organization, the State of the World Forum partnering with that particular exchange organization and being on that year in America and me going to America on that particular year. Someone who I don't even know, thank you, unknown person out there who decided I was one of the five who should be invited to write an essay and then whoever it was that selected me. And so I went to this event, had this incredible experience, met all these incredible young people, met these incredible you know, old people, met the Nobel Peace Prize winners and came away from it with this incredible sense that I had to do something. That just being, you know, argumentative and opinionated wasn't enough. I had to, I had to contribute, and that's that's really the defining moment that turned me into, that gave me the fuel to want to be a change maker. But what then gave me the particular purpose that I've been pursuing ever since was, as I thought more about that experience, that was when I realised how haphazard all of that is. But that's actually what youth empowerment usually looks like. It's some pretty random group of people. Well, they would be random if they didn't have so much in common, which is usually wealth and privilege already. Because as I thought about the group of people I'd spent time with, and they're an incredible group of people, there were 32 young people from 28 countries, and we had this incredible diversity, you know, we were boys and girls with the first world and the third world and the former communist world, and we were 
you know, rich countries and poor countries and all different skin shades. And but I realized that we all had this really important but un, but under recognized thing in common, which is that every single one of us had parents who could afford to send us to America for a year. And I thought that's not good enough. Um, that can't be how empowerment is done. That can't be how leadership is developed um, for the next generation. We need to give this opportunity to everyone. Um, and so I've been trying ever since to give that experience I had then to everyone. And obviously technology has played a big role because as you start thinking about everyone, you quickly realize that <laughs> organizing summits in San Francisco is not going to be the universal strategy to empower a generation. Yeah, sure. It's going to have to be media, it's going to have to be technology. That's an epic story. Um, and I, you know, great segue into now, you know, you've, you've been following that journey ever since and, and this is your mission. And um, so Start Some Good, tell us, tell us what Start Some Good's all about. For sure. So Start Some Good's an innovation agency and platform dedicated to increasing the pace of innovation for social change. And we do that in a variety of ways by building the capacity of grassroots innovators and by linking innovations to capital wherever possible. So one of the one of the key things we do is run a crowdfunding platform at startsomegood.com and we in fact began life as a crowdfunding platform. These days we do a lot more than that. We run about a dozen accelerated programs. Each year we run a bunch of capacity building programs. As I said, we run this major uh, annual virtual summit, the Starting Good virtual summit. Uh, we recently launched a design program uh, for, to design new social enterprise ideas called Good Hustle. But we began life as a crowdfunding platform because we're trying to fill the gap for, for risk-tolerant capital for social change. Then I became really passionate, you know, I'm very passionate about innovation. I've done a, a number of things myself that were, the, you know, kind of the first of their kind, at least in Australia at the time, so I know how hard it is traditionally to fundraise for those sorts of ideas, but I also know that's badly, that, that, those are the ideas we need, because we badly need innovation. If we're going to overcome, you know, the sustainable development goals and the challenges that are before us, it's not going to be with all the stuff, you know, it's not going to just be using the solutions that proved to work yesterday. It's going to be because we're going to be constantly having to invent new solutions, new approaches to social change that fit the needs of our time, and our time is a time of accelerating change. And I guess these ideas, it's not a coincidence that, that Start Some Good was born in San Francisco, because obviously San Francisco is a really fascinating kind of innovation ecosystem, and while working there for a couple of years, I was intensely curious in why is San Francisco and the wider Bay Area, such fertile ground for innovation. And there's lots of historical reasons for that, but the particular piece of the puzzle that I became really interested in was the availability of risk-tolerant capital. And, you know, it's interesting kind of coming back to Australia, people have really mythic ideas about Silicon Valley. They often think it's a place where really smart people get together and do really clever things. And I'm fond of reminding everyone that in fact Silicon Valley is one of the world's largest concentrations of bad ideas. <laughs> and, and failed ideas, because that's what an innovation ecosystem looks like. Sure, it looks like trying lots of things, and most of those things won't, won't in fact succeed. And what fuels that commercial innovation is kind of two categories of investors: angel investors and venture capitalists, and they play quite different roles. And angel investors are largely investing their own money, and they do so at a very early stage, pre-investability by any notional sense of what it what constitutes investability, because pre-real data, usually, um, and pre-product market fit, as they say in the game. And, and, and so they do that knowing that most of those bets are gonna fail. And so they do that not because they think it will work, but because they're curious about what could happen if it worked. 
and they will reap the rewards when they do. And so often in angel investors, 95% of the business they invest in fail. But it all, it's all, it all works out okay as long as one of them is a Facebook, an Uber, an Airbnb, a WeWork, or whatever the case might be. Um, then there's venture capitalists. They're usually investing in other people's money, and they do, and they're therefore trying to make kind of more sensible decisions backed by data or grounded data. So they're actually taking the data that's that's produced by those experiments, usually funded by angels, and then looking at that and saying, what do we think will happen? in the future and trying to bat a much higher overall success rate, trying to have the majority of their investments ultimately work out as positive. And what I realized is that in the social sector, you know, which I've kind of spent my whole adult life in, um, bouncing between non-for-profits and social enterprises, but um, with a tiny dabble in local government, which didn't work out very well for me, um, not a good cultural fit, but uh, you know, always, always focused on social impact. And I realized that the social impact world is a world of all VCs and no angels. That everyone wants to invest in the things that are already proven to work. Everyone's trying to do the most good they can do. You know, it all comes from a really good place, but it has this almost, it has this like drive towards the conservative because people have come to, to kind of operate, their, def, their, their operating definition of the most good they can do is the most good they can be certain is going to happen. And the questions that so many people who have capital and social change ask is not what could happen, but what will happen. Prove to me that this will happen. Be very precise about what will happen. And in some ways, the drive is even more in this direction with all the stuff around impact measurements. I mean, that's really important, obviously, but as the classic saying goes, you don't fat the peak by measuring it. You need, you need a way to actually like impact change to then be worth measuring. Yes. The measuring alone doesn't actually help us invent new methods and so it's totally valid to play a VC-style role. You kind of need both. The problem in the social sector is it's become very unbalanced and there's very little money for genuine innovation, which is to say things that may or may not work. Um, and so looking around at the time and, and thinking about these issues and wondering, well, who, who is doing a good job of supporting the new? Who's doing a good job of, of fostering innovation? And I was really inspired by what Kickstarter was doing at the time. Um, and I thought they were solving, and they're still doing but for that matter, I, I thought they were solving, they are solving a very similar problem to the problem that we wanted to solve, which is essentially how do you help innovators get around gatekeepers? Because gatekeepers are never very good at spotting innovation, to be honest. And so the gatekeepers in the creative sector were, you know, the record label executives and gallery owners um, and, and arts funding bodies. And that's why, you know, the creative industry is almost spectacularly inefficient. You know, there's classic stories like the Beatles got knocked back, what, 80 times, whatever they did. What does that tell you? That those gatekeepers were really, really bad at their jobs, and they always are, because they're always trying to pattern match against what just happened. Yeah. <laughs> they're almost definitionally bad at innovation. And of course, that Beatles story would be so different today. They just put their music on YouTube and SoundCloud, and they'd blow up directly, and then they'd sign. They'd still probably want a record label on their side to take care of the logistics, but they'd do so from a position of strength, having already proved that there's a market out there for what they offer. And that's the opportunity that Kickstarter essentially gives artists is to go directly to communities and say, do you like what we do? Do you want more of it? And we thought that's exactly the opportunity that social entrepreneurs need as well. And so I co-founded Start Simple with a former colleague from Shoka, which is the organization I've worked with in Washington, D.C. They're fascinating, but probably off topic for now. They invented the phrase social entrepreneurship 45 years ago. They were literally the, they're the OGs of the social entrepreneurship sector. They were literally the first person, the first people talking about it, using that language. Um, so I met Alex while working there uh, on the on the communications team. I was the first 
digital communications manager and then together we got talking about how could we do it, you know, kind of the focus of our work on the digital comms team to show it, but how do we inspire more people to become change makers in order to get to an everyone change maker world. But what we started to see is that you inspire more people to become change makers, but what are the actual pathways to get your ideas out of your head into the real world so that we can learn from them, so we can discover new breakthroughs? And we realized that there's this giant bottleneck around that early stage funding, that restoring funding, and we thought that crowdfunding could you know, be a tool to, to rally those funds because it allows each of us to contribute just whatever whatever the amount that is acceptable to us is, whatever our personal risk profile is. So it's a lot easier to be courageous when you're chipping in $20 than $20,000 or $2 million. And so that's what we've been doing ever since. But what's happened for us as a business, which is quite unexpected, is these days actually the majority of our revenue and a lot of our work is working with the gatekeepers in a way, working with traditional institutional funders, whether companies or foundations or local government, uh, in particular, can't work within them, but can work with them um, in partnership to help them all invest in, in grassroots innovation. So instead of just helping innovators avoid the gatekeeper, you, you kind of can't really do that because the, you know, the, the gatekeepers do have so many resources. So these days we really we help gatekeepers re rethink the gate, re reinvent the gate in a way that is more conducive to supporting innovation. Yeah, sure. It sounds like you, you've kind of followed your own advice there in proving the model around uh, start some good and then and then circling back to the gatekeepers and and bringing them into a space that's been proven. Obviously, uh, crowdfunding at that stage was a hot topic too when you um, when you guys started out. So um, yeah, what's yeah, sure the, what are some um, some success stories you've got around start some good that you could share? I mean, our biggest success is, to be honest, the level of success that yeah. we have. So I'll certainly share a couple of stories. There's a bit of a, often the way we talk about crowdfunding is so much based on individual outliers and, and successes that so many people are unfamiliar with the overall success rate sure. of the sector and it leads them to underprepare. So one of my great missions is to get people to understand what's really going on. Um, on most platforms, 80 to 85% of all projects fall short of their goals. So you can certainly pick some amazing examples out of the 10 and 15%. Yeah, um, and often it's the biggest, the best level platforms, Indiegogo, Chart, that have the, the worst success rate, um, interestingly enough. And so what we're proudest of is that we have the highest success rate in project yeah. crowdfunding, not just social good crowdfunding, at 53%. Wow. One of the only platforms in the world where there's more success than failure. Um, so within that, there's been lots of really cool projects. Um, some of the ones that, that, I'm, that, 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 that I personally uh, really love was Psychonetic, which is a, a brilliant young PhD student out of UTS, Jordan, Dr. Jordan Nguyen, um, who was commercializing some technology, which is a mind control wheelchair. <laughs> you can believe that, absolutely yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um, Ability, Ability Made, who are revolutionizing how we print child orthotics. Um, so parts for kids, reducing the costs and the time by about an order of magnitude. Absolutely amazing, using um, kind of instantaneous like 3D modeling plus 3D printing. Mm. Uh, we've, had, we've had lots of success with some great indigenous-led projects. Uh, we had a great indigenous-owned streetwear label out of Byron Bay called Sacred Era, who launched with us earlier this year. Yeah. Uh, there's a school up in Cape York called the Girl Academy, which is specifically created by the local community to support indig uh, indigenous teenage mothers to finish their schooling. That's a great example, I think, of the local community Sure. creating for themselves what they need. And they've been trying to fund that through the traditional, you know, the traditional grant process. And it's been a couple of years, they, they knew what they needed, but they couldn't get it funded. 
And actually, once they put it out there to the wider community, there were people who wanted to support them with that, which I love. Um, the Food Justice Truck, which is a, a, a mobile market in Melbourne run by the Asylum Seeking Resource Centre, and it provides a significant discount to refugees and asylum seekers. Lots of cool social enterprises from Words with Heart to Stationery to Eat Me Chutneys to Ahimsa Collective in Timbuktu and uh, Ocean Zen Bikinis in ethical fashion. Um, just a lot of a lot of really amazing stuff, and it's what's so you know it's what's so amazing about my job is that I constantly get to meet these incredible innovators and these incredible change makers who are working so hard to make a difference for all of us, and it's you know such a privilege to be able to, to be able to support them in some way, provide them with technology or coaching, whatever they need to be able to hopefully move forward and make a difference. Yeah, I'd imagine it's a, just a fascinating ride to be sitting in your chair watching watching these people come through and their organisations and their missions. Um, something I just want to touch on there, like that, that uh, that um, 50% success rate that you've got there, um, mm -hmm. you know, I just came back from a, a two-day conference um, where we were talking about leadership and how, how impact and purpose can provide such a, a major um a major pathway to great leadership and and impacting teams, you know, that are frustrated within their positions. How do you think that the social side, is it just the social side and the purpose of these great innovations that creates a 50% uh, success rate or is there something different that you guys are doing? Um, it's, I mean, obviously it's both, but it's, you know, other platforms are filled with great social ideas but sadly have a much lower success rate. And so the, yeah. the piece, the, the, piece the, the missing piece on most is actually helping people know how to use the tools. You know, like fundraising is really actually a very sophisticated thing. People spend their entire lives learning how to fundraise. You know, it's a vocation to be a fundraiser. Yeah. And, when you're, and, when you're, and when you're trying to raise money, you're not just competing with like other social enterprises or other plastic cleanup projects or whatever category you're in. You're competing with everyone who's looking for the, for the attention and the money of your target audience. So you're also competing with, with Red Bull. You're competing with Coca-Cola. You're competing with Chipotle. You know, you just um, it's and so and so it requires having real focus in terms of you know really knowing having real clarity around the story you're telling, having sufficient credibility that people believe your story, and having the focus to know who you're trying to tell that story to, because there isn't just a single perfect story that's going to work for everyone. And so how most crowdfunding platforms work in essence is it's been like showing people into a room that's filled with you know, wood and saws and hammers and nails and saying, make me a table. Now, we're all experts on tables from the outside. I'm sitting at a table right now. I don't know about you. You know, I use one. I use a table most days. So, you know, I'm pretty familiar with tables. But actually, even if everything I needed to make a table was in that room, I, I literally couldn't make a table to save my life. You're probably more, more handy than me, Mick, and many of your listeners as well. So <laughs> no, disrespect, no disrespect to anyone's table-making skills. Just speaking for myself. I just could I wouldn't even know how to get started. I'd be so overwhelmed. And the only way that I could really get started, even though big thick books of instructions as well, how do I even read these things? Um, the way that what I would need to be able to succeed at that challenge would be someone there with me, helping me walk through it, helping me figure out what my next steps are. And that's what most people need with, with, with fundraising. You know, most crowdfunding platforms are the equivalent of that room. They're filled with incredible tools, everything you need to run a great crowdfunding campaign or a great fundraising campaign. There's often even like self-serve instructional materials. But kind of knowing even how to like read through it and whether you're where, where various, whether like how good is good enough, and what's the you know what's the kind of learned wisdom 
of working with hundreds and thousands of projects over the years. And so we just make a greater effort than is than is normal, like much more than is normal, to, to share some of those insights with people. Every every project and development on our platform gets paired with a crowdfunding coach on our team who provides personalized feedback and answers their questions. Um, and then we have a lot of kind of even you know more of, of programs that build on top of that, where people can get group coaching or individual coaching all the way through to we'll even co-design their campaign and outreach strategy with them. Yeah, sure. Um, our mission is not just to throw stuff up and see what things fails. Our, our mission is to increase the pace of innovation for social change. And we truly believe that a lot of great innovation, as I said, comes from people with a lived experience of various challenges. But those people don't always come like neatly packaged up with the right experience or skills around pitching and storytelling and fundraising and defining your target market and product design. Um, and so if you actually care about finding those potential innovations that we need and helping them see the light of day, you've got to kind of think about how to put those additional pieces of the puzzle around that person. Yeah, sure. Great advice. Um, and obviously the, you know, the next level of attention that you're giving your um, your innovators is, you know, it speaks volumes just in the data alone. So um, amazing results. I love it. Um, looking at the, the, the SDGs, so we are, we are here to talk at some part around the global goals. Um, how, does, how does start some good working with the global goals? Um, firstly, I guess at your level with, with the business itself and then whether, whether you encourage your innovators and the people on your platform to take a look at it. So firstly, what's happening with Start Some Good in the, in the Global Goals? I mean, every single project on our platform would support by the Global Goals. Yeah. The Global Goals are, by definition, an almost universal to-do list yeah. for the world. So, if, you know, we only work with projects and enterprises that make a positive social and environmental impact. Mm -hmm. um, and so every single one of them would line up with at least one of those goals. Uh, and so what we're trying to do essentially is, is and, you know, I guess our, our mission, our, our, our belief is that in order to achieve any of those goals, we need to pick up the pace of innovation for social change. We need to get better in innovating in a rapidly changing world. Those goals and those the situations that they speak to will continue to mutate and change themselves as technology changes, as the nature of work changes, as education has to change, um, as our democracy has to change, um, and obviously as we need to become more sustainable in the way in which we live and, and travel and relate to each other and consume. Um, and so we need innovation across, right across the board, and that's what we focus on. So not just kind of focusing on an individual mission, we focus on supporting people who focus on all those individual missions and helping give them the education, the, te the technology tools, and hopefully unique opportunities to bring their ideas to the fore. We also work a lot in partnership, as I said, with companies, foundations, and local government to help them, make, um, to help them achieve their impact goals, and often those programs have a more specific focus. Um, and so where I say that we often have the biggest impact is in goal 17, partnerships for goals. Yeah. Because our partnership often enables those organisations to, to more effectively pursue the goal that they want to make a difference on. So, for instance, next week, um, depending on when your listeners hear this, uh, on the 11th of September, we're holding the fourth, what will now be the fourth annual Pitch for Good Paramount. And that's early stage social enterprises that have to be based in the city of Parramatta. And this year they also have to have a sustainability um, dimension. So that's to help the city of Parramatta essentially meet their sustainability goals, um, which are increasing, and it's which are you know some people express it more overtly than others. But whether you directly say you know we are addressing goal twelve, you, you either are or are not addressing goal twelve. 
So obviously sustainability is a really cool uh, core, I mean, say it is cool, I guess. <laughs> yeah, sure. um, but also a very core um, theme across a number of the goals, as is, you know, sustainable livelihoods. Um, and, and, and good work, which such them has often also have an impact around. Yeah. Um, and um, with, with like understanding that, that all, the, all the projects that are, you know, coming through your, your programs and your platform are speaking towards, you know, things that are aligned with the global goals, are they, are they aware of, like, I, I find that there's lots of companies out there that are delivering impacts, but they're not actually aware of the global goals whilst they align, like they are subconsciously creating impacts in the same way that, that what the SDGs are speaking to, but they're not actually physically aware of the global goals. Are you seeing the same thing? I don't own? think you mean subconsciously, because I, I, I would expect in most cases they're consciously creating impacts. They're just not aligned with this particular way of expressing that global to-do list. Yeah. And I think that's fine. I think I that's the least. Well, even a way of saying it. Yeah, but, li but literally the least of it, this is kind of like the debate that is eternal within the social enterprise space of how do we define social enterprise. Sure. And honestly, like how we define it is in, in, in so many ways like one of the least important pieces of the puzzle. Um, what matters is doing it. You know, what, what matters is is actually moving business in a trajectory yeah. that is more sustainable, that is more, that is more just, yeah. that is more social. Um, and so I think, you know, it's the same thing with the goals. Certainly. You know, you can never get everyone to agree on everything. So I guess I, I don't see that as I would see that as an unachievable goal, and therefore not a not a worthy goal to worry too much about. Yeah, sure. Um, but that's not to say we shouldn't obviously take every opportunity to explain it to people. Just not stress out too much that everyone has to use that. The people that have to turn around and use that same language themselves. Yeah, sure. Where I think it's a really important tool is obviously getting people to realise how they start to make a difference. So not, not so much those people who are already making a difference, but maybe haven't like aligned it as directly. If it inspires them to do more, that's great. Um, but obviously, I think the key the key thing that I think the goals really helps with is helping people begin to kind of chunk down this complexity in the world and identify in some ways pretty simple. Like the goals are intentionally they simplify this incredibly complicated world into seventeen very kind of very kind of simple statements: life on land, life above water. Um, and you can go. And so I think it can really help people. Because social change is, is overwhelming. There's a lot that is doing. Every issue is, is interconnected with every other issue. You know, humans are the single most unruly thing on the planet. <laughs> hard to predict, hard to get to the right thing. Um, so I think the goals are a really great way of getting people to think about how to start kind of adding, um, yeah. adding purpose and adding impact to their existing operations and kind of yeah. chunking down that complexity in a way that lets them get their arms around something and say, what I'm really passionate about is actually like life in the oceans. And then, of course, as you dive in, as you know, you get, it gets much more specific. There's all these sub-goals uh, within each of those goals, and you begin to focus more on like reefs. And so, and then, you know, then, and then, okay, how do I make a difference there? Um, and that's a really great way for people to begin to engage. Yeah, definitely. I love the fact that you can kind of, <clears throat> there's, there's that macro approach, and then if you want to, you can really delve into these kind of micro goals and, Indicators and yeah, what and you can even retranslate it. Someone's done this. I can't remember who it is, but I, I've seen it at a previous conference. Sorry, this is not very helpful. But someone's kind of restated those to be individual. Yeah, goals. They are expressed in this pretty galactic sense. You know, they are the, the global goals. Yeah. Um, but they're as a personal. Like, what is the personal expression of those? Um, and it's quite a someone. You know, feel free to Google that, listeners. Oh uh, yeah, I know who that was. That was Darcy Lund from Teaspoons of Change. Is that Darcy? That makes sense. Yes, I saw him speaking. Yeah, 
we, uh, I saw that as well because we were both at Vivid and, and it was with the Banksy crew. Um, oh, yes, that was it. He transferred it into these individual, yeah, what does it look like for me as an individual? Obviously, his models around teaspoons of change, um, the little things that add up. So there you go. Um, I remember that. That's really cool. Definitely worth a Google. Um, so, look, we're, we're getting close to time. I know um, you, you alluded earlier, you've got some, some new stuff happening and with Start Some Good as you branch out into different things. Um, and you mentioned that the Good Hustle is one of your programs that you're doing at the moment. Um, can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, I would love to. Um, so, I guess what we were discovering was that, but you know, I mean, the, part of the reason that so many people do fail um, to be honest, at, at crowdfunding is they don't realise that they're not ready, in fact. That their idea is not simply that is not quite at the point of maturity or there's insufficient evidence, they have insufficient credibility, which can be addressed through making more progress or getting the right partners on board or whatever the case might be, um, to actually succeed at, at crowdfunding or succeed to the extent that they want to, to help them move forward. And so part of our success rate is, in fact, that we help people realise that. Um, now, helping people realise that, though, is not the same as helping people overcome that. Um, because traditionally, you know, we've been here to help you crowdfund, and if you're not ready, that's great. We'll help you realise you're not ready, but off you go. Good luck figuring all that stuff out, and you know, hopefully, we'll see you again in the future and help you crowdfund at that point. Um, a few years ago, we launched an annual event, which I also mentioned, called the Starting Good Virtual Summit, and that was kind of to build more knowledge around social enterprise and to help you know inspire more people to kind of take the plunge. And, and be social, socially entrepreneurial, they don't have to necessarily be like, we're not super precious about it has to be a social enterprise model per se. We, I guess we're more, we're more into social entrepreneurship, that idea of just being inventive, being resourceful, being entrepreneurial in the pursuit of making a difference in whatever form or model makes sense to you. So that's kind of the inspiration piece. And then we had the actual like, particular go-to-market piece and, and we realized that we'd left a gap in a way in our, own, in our own kind of ecosystem around the design stage, you know, so you're inspired to make a difference, fantastic. Um, how can we help with that? And so we we built earlier this year and, and have run the first cohort through a course called Good Hustle, and it's a 10-week online program for design and social enterprise. And the feedback's been really amazing from the first cohort, and we've just opened up enrollments, depending again on, on the day we had the very start of September. We're enrolling through September, and the next cohort will kick off on October 1. So part of you know, why I'm keen to mention this uh, in talking to you as well is obviously the 17X events are also very much playing that inspiration role of helping people realise what's possible by seeing amazing examples of people who are already doing it. Exactly the same kind of approach that we, you know, that we're doing online with our starting good virtual summit, which is March 21 to 31, by the way, this is. Um, and so that's why I'm really keen to, you know, invite anyone who's already been to one of your events or planning to come to one of them in the future such as the Brisbane event that I'll be speaking at, um, and who was really inspired by what they heard and who wants to do more, but doesn't yet have that, that the clarity around their idea that, you know, where they could go straight into launching or pitching it. Um, I would love them to come and help work through that with us over um, at the Good Hustle program. And, and the idea is to get someone ready to either maybe launch that initial crowdfunding campaign to raise a bit of money to pilot something or test something, or to get to a point where you could apply to go into one an accelerator like um, Impact Boom in Brisbane or, or Remarkable in Sydney, etc. Um, so yes, it's at goodhustle.online for anyone for whom that sounds interesting. And then the third cohort, which will kick off in November, will be for female founders only. That's, that's so cool. I mean, it's, I think when I first was looking at 
at starting the 17X um, event brand and getting getting this event tour underway, um, you were one of the people that did ask me, you know, how are you going to measure or, or, or what's the actual actionable takeaway that you're going to ask people to get involved with? You know, with our events, we're getting people inspired on the day and, and you're not the only person that said, yeah, but, but then what? What are you doing to kind of go, okay, you've been inspired, you've seen some examples, you, you, now you know about the global goals, now what are you going to do about it? And um, I just love the fact that there's a program like The Good Hustle uh, that is, is an option for people to go and take that. So I encourage anyone that's listening, particularly those of you that have been to our events in the past, um, to jump on and have a look at, at The Good Hustle and look at how you can get some support to to get yourself, you know, making, I like the words where you said take the plunge, you know, get yourself ready to take the plunge and, and make those things happen. So, um, and I love the idea that we've we've got an option as 17X to look at different pathways for people to make action that this is one of them. So, um, yeah, really, really cool to check it out. What was the website again? It's goodhustle.online. Okay, great. I will make sure that there's links in the in the the podcast so if you're listening and you want to check that out there'll be a link in the podcast notes um and you did mention that you're speaking at our uh, at our 17x brisbane event which is happening in three weeks time september 26 um at river city labs so we've got a, a bit of an all-star lineup up there um incredible it's so cool it's coming together really well I'm um I'm just I'm starting to get really excited now. Usually a couple of weeks out, I start to get a bit nervous and excited at the same time. I go right, I've got to we've got to pull all this together and make it happen. So um, uh, any hints on what you'll be talking to us about in your 17 minute keynote? Kind of similar themes to what we've just been talking about now, and particularly around that need to to be more courageous in how we support innovation and what are some of the learnings that we can take from the commercial startup world and, and apply to social innovation and social enterprise and social impact in order to more rapidly achieve the goals. Awesome. I feel like you could probably, with all your knowledge and experience, you could probably fill a, a keynote for a good couple of hours with, with value. So it'd be interesting to see how you pack it all in the 17 minutes. I'm sure you've no, got that is my that is my weakness, <laughs> uh, getting, getting down to more pithy, Ted, Ted, Teddy-style kind of of talks, but um, I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to I'm going to try and nail that 17 minute brief so you don't have to like grab Yeah, no, nah, that's cool. That's the plan. We'll have we have the Oscar music dialed up when you get over this. <laughs> yeah, I was at a conference, or an conference, uh, the weekend before last, and they had these five minute Latin talks. So you can imagine me trying to say wait. Yeah, yeah. And that lovely system where everyone just starts clapping at the end of five minutes. Nice. Um, <laughs> so I got clapped yeah. off today. I, I didn't have more to say, but oh, never mind. Um, That's beautiful. Gonna, I'm excited to try and uh, nail this brief uh, for you and, and for the audience. It's, uh, it's a good length of time, and I think I'll be able to say what I need to say. Great. Well, look, um, we, we're pretty much out of time. My last question for you is, is what's what's in your immediate future for either yourself or start some good? Uh, what, what are we going to see if we're watching you over the next 12 months? Well, as ever, we're doing... Probably too many things, but a lot of different a lot of different things. Where where we're incorrigible inventors of, of new things. So, got a couple of uh, exciting things. One, I guess, is in, is kind of around scope, and one is around the technology. So, we're building a new recurring giving tool. You heard it here first. Nice. It's not announced yet. Oh. Wow. Um, 
but to help people build long, more long-term supporter communities. We're going to be adding that function to the site before the end of the year. We're really excited about that. Cool. Um, because I think it's a, a missing gap around so many of the people who are launching with us. But then, of course, they, they continue to need to foster that community of supporters long-term. We've always preached that. That's always been really core to our message around successful crowdfunding. Don't, in some ways, even focus on the funds. Focus on the community you're building. Mm. And it's not, you know, we always say it's not just about a one-time transaction. It's yeah. about building that community. Um, but actually, functionally, on our site, it mostly has been about that one-time transaction in, in, in <laughs> terms. Um, and so we, we're excited now about kind of bringing our tools in line with our philosophy. Yes. Um, that, that's, a, that's kind of the biggest new, the biggest upgrade um, on the platform for a couple of years since we launched our partner API, uh, which is now partnering, uh, now powering three partner platforms. So I hope you'll see more us roll out um, several new partner platforms as well based off our, our tech stack as we play more and more of that infrastructure role. But the other thing I'm personally really excited about, and you probably could tell from my, my, my highlights of the year so far that I do, I love to travel and I love to meet um, change makers and social entrepreneurs around the world, but we're slowly starting to do more work internationally, which I'm really excited about. I've been, I've been going to Hong Kong quite a bit lately and, and plan to be there twice in January. I hope, I hope everything will be okay. Um, hard to know what's going to happen, but hopefully I'll be there again twice in January. Um, I'm heading over to Bangkok this weekend to speak at the Regional Protection Summit on refugees, and, and we're, we're in the, the kind of final state. I, I hate to talk about anything until it's kind of signed, sealed, and delivered, but I'm just between you and me, uh, where we're, we're well, well developed with a partnership with UNDP um, that I hope to be announcing shortly, and that will be working with social entrepreneurs across the Pacific, the Pacific Islands, giving them access to a more global supporter base. More global oh, that's terrific. So I'm really excited to, to just keep it, it's kind of, a lot of this is quite new for me, you know, going to this uh, refugee event is, uh, I'll be speaking, but really I'll be listening a lot and learning a lot about some of what's going on in that and trying to try to see the opportunity, you know, identify where we might be able to be of assistance. Because uh, our focus has always been, as I said, around grassroots innovation and, and people with lived experience, so just looking for opportunities to apply that around the world where the need is greatest. Yeah, oh, that sounds amazing. Um, so if people want to connect with you or start some good, how do they go about doing that? Um, anyone who's excited about all of these sorts of opportunities is very welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, I'd love to keep up with what you're doing as well. If we're working in similar spaces also, or passionate about similar things, so just look me up Tom Dawkins. I'm wearing a red T-shirt. Um, I'm also on Twitter, Tom JD. I like connecting with people and talking about these issues there and sharing what we're up to. Um, and of course, if anyone is looking to, particularly anyone in a, you know, who's working in a company or a foundation or a government agency and is looking to do a better job of supporting grassroots innovation around their particular geography or area of interest, would love to talk to you about how we could, how we might be able to work together on that because that's that's what we do. Beautiful. Well, uh, mate, thank you so much for your time today and joining us on the podcast and. Um, of course, very excited to see you in a couple of weeks at our event. And, um, yeah, thanks again for sharing all your wisdom and experience. Yeah, can't wait. It's going to be a lot of fun. Awesome. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, mate. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for tuning in to the 17X podcast series. We do have our keynote speaking event currently touring the country. Uh, Brisbane is coming up in September and Melbourne in October. So if you're in either of those cities and love to come along and hear our great speakers, share with us how they're impacting the world through the SDGs. It'd be great to have you come along. Check out our website, 17sdg.com, that's 17 the word, for all the information about those two events. And be ready for our 2020 national tour as we kick off again. 
Wherever you're listening, it'd be great for you to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. And if you could leave us some feedback, that'd be great. Thanks again for listening. 